0: which is of course German for watch out over there ah, <laughs> <Gotten> him <laughs> um welcome to we have ways of making you talk the second world war podcast with me and my brother in arms James Holland and James Aww. the book is finished I understand
1: <laughs> I, like, I like what you did then <laughs> <laughs> yeah Well, it's not it's it's no it's not finished I've got to the end which isn't quite the same thing
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Because you know, so, so, so I've, now...
1: I've written the end, so that's the thing. And then, then, then you have all you you feel you have this sort of feeling of extreme euphoria, having got there, because you know you think back to kind of day one when you're thinking, Blank okay, page. Jesus, I've got such a long way to go here. This is how do I, how do I do this? And then finally, you get to that wonderful evening or day when when you know you write the end. And I always write the end just so that I kind of psychologically feel like I've. I've I've reached my own very personal Everest. And then um
0: Then the uh, tide goes back out. Then the tide goes back out.
1: <laughs> and you suddenly realize you've got to go through all the copy editors' notes and all the rest of it. And that's really boring because they ask you lots of annoying questions. Uh which you've got to go through. And then you've got to do the sources and, you know, acknowledgements and kind of, you know, and it's, it's a bit of a faff. Then you've got to work out what pictures you're going to put in and maps and stuff like that. But this one's going to be quite fun because I think actually they're going to, they're allowing me to do a few integrated pictures. And also, I think, as well as the kind of, you have you know, you have those sort of eight pages of, of inserts, so 16 pages of inserts. All nice yes, dossier plate. paper and plates, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think we're going to have some integrated ones, which is where you incorporate it straight onto the page. But also, oh, I think, nice. you, know, I've, you know, I've been banging on about all these aerial photographs from the war. So I think we're going to be able to use some of those. And I'm really hoping I can use that sequence that I showed with you the other day of Peter Mellows' troop at Lockham, which is just amazing. So so basically what happens is, is um, uh, Peter Mellows was a was a troop commander in a squadron show of Rangers, and he's he's... There's a roadblock on the road for the infantry in the Wessex Division. And Lockham is this town in, in north-west Holland. So this is post-crossing the Rhine, but they've actually slipped back into Holland. So this bit of Holland is exactly the bit that Monty was trying to get through in September with Market Garden. and um, and, and And so his troop is trying to outflank the roadblock through this forest. And they go through this wood and merge out the other side into these big, wide-open fields. And there's this sequence of photographs of... First of all, you can see them just moving along the edge of his field and the edge of the wood. Then you can see them kind of deploying, and the first one of the tanks sort of moving up alongside Mello's tank and a third one behind. They've only got three tanks this day, not four. Then you see Sergeant Oprey's tank being hit, and he's hit by a, a, by a Panzerfaust. And then you see Peter... And you can see Peter Mellows furiously reversing, so he's out of range of the Panzerfaust, effective range, but also so that he can traverse his gun low enough so that he can actually fire HE, and bounce the shells so that they then burst over the trenches, over the over the hidden positions of the Germans. And what a sequence! And then you can look on Google Earth and you can still see exactly the same field layout. And you can also see this house called called Haus der Enk, der which is still there in the edge of the wood. And it's just... I mean to see it all live is. action shots the sequence is just amazing so I'm hoping we're going to use all those as well so for those that don't know
0: the process is you send so you send a word document or whatever off to your publisher they read it uh, you then wait
1: with bated breath
0: Yeah, they're waiting with bated breath. I mean, because after all, they're they're, they're receiving manuscripts all the time, aren't they? So they're not going to read it immediately. It wouldn't be like if you sent it to me and I'd like go, oh, I've got to read this right this minute. Well, you say that,
1: you say that, but actually they have, because I had to send in parts one and two at the beginning of last month. So I had a kind of inkling that I was on the right track. Um, And then, so they then only had kind of parts three and four to read. And actually, Bill, my publisher in the UK, has read it right over the weekend. So that's good. So few.
0: Yeah, that's very strong. Excellent. And then and then and then they so then there's a copy edit thing and then you've already sorted out a cover. You've done all that argument already. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've done the we've done the cover. We're there with that. Um, Yeah. And it's and it's it's just it just is a bit of an old process. But but obviously the biggest thing is just getting to the end so that you know what your structure is. You know, you know, you're basically on the right track and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's 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 you basically you've laid the egg. You've laid the egg. Now you're just waiting for it to hatch. <laughs> exactly, and hoping no one stamps on it. <laughs> Doesn't drop a metaphoric hammer and burst its brains out.
0: I mean, it's it's going to be very exciting to read, and I'm sure I speak for uh, many who listen and and uh, and have sort of because this this book has has been the lockdown. We have ways of making you talk oh, lockdown, independent baby. company um, baby, um, and we all feel like you, you know. I mean, you've obviously you've done the. You've done all the all the all the gestation and the um the actual labour, but I think you've you've many midwives on this, Jim, and um, <laughs> we're all very very excited to see uh, see uh, what it what it looks like when it can run about, you know. Well, that's extremely of nice of you.
1: I mean, I'm I'm sorry if I've been boring people by going on about it, but uh, the trouble is, is you know, when you're writing a book like this, particularly this one, which is so personal because it's about a kind of very small number of people, really, you know, you just. You know, I've just found myself getting emotionally involved in a way that I haven't with perhaps any of my other books with a possible exception of certain aspects of that Italy one and I would say probably the Malta book I did right up front because all those guys were alive, so I I was sort of of invested in them all. The difference with this one is they're not, but all their families are and I've got to know them all through through doing the book, so I feel very kind of emotionally involved. I have to say I felt quite... um, I did feel a little bit of a lump in my throat on... on Friday, when I was finishing it off, because I just I was just sort of thinking, God, what they went through. It was just such a massive thing. But this is, but, but this is.
0: I mean, it's interesting, this, isn't it? Because your your uh, earlier books, like uh, your, I mean, Malta is very much. There's some very personal stuff in that, isn't there? And and, but the picture's got bigger and bigger as you've as you've progressed through your books, isn't it? Yeah. So you know, war in the war in the West is is super big picture. Yes, you've got all the you have your players in it, your cast of characters in Sicily. There's a you know your cast of. I mean, what is it? Is it 20 40 people in Sicily? I can't remember I don't know but that. but you you've got all your players but you are much more on on bigger picture but but I mean you, you I mean you this book you're not really you're not much interested in what Schaefer doing and the all that are you, 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 yeah, you no not really i mean I've,
1: I've, I've put that context in so there's there's a bit of analysis and you know i've sort of talked about kind of area bombing and i've talked about um about the influence of japan and things like that so all that kind of wider stuff that we've been talking about over the last year or so that's definitely kind of sort of weaved its way in but it is first and foremost about one unit and their experiences and, and just how awful it was frankly and you know i mean i had to do this this death scene of one of the main characters um last week and it was just it was really really upsetting it really yeah, was yeah. and also because I've got all all the letters that were written to his parents and they're just they're just gut-wrenching and, and and it's quite clear that his best mate in the regiment was just beyond devastated I mean you know the grief was very genuine very raw you know he says, says you know I, I loved him more than anyone else in the whole world I mean you know, I mean, it's it's just desperate stuff, and it is just really sad. And it's right near the end of the war, and you just think, oh, what a waste. You know, why are these Germans still fighting? You know, last guy to be shot, we were talking about it the other day, you know, shot by a sniper on the 2nd of May. I mean, Jesus. So, so I do feel very kind of invested in it all, and it's a very different book to anything I've written before. Um, you know, I wanted it to be more sort of elegiac and, and more kind of. Um, yeah, more, more, more sort of pulling on on the emotion stuff, and I think you know, I mean, I think it's sort of what I've set out to do. To be well, you, you're going that way at the end of the Sicily book, aren't you?
0: The, the, weren't you? There's a bit at the end of the Sicily book where you say you look over the you look over the yeah. landscape, and you you think wistfully to the yeah to the the people and the and the you know the g- g- blood and guts spilt and the pointlessness of it all. I mean, this is the this is I mean, after all, we 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 you know. This is something we do need to we do need to remind ourselves sometimes I think on this podcast because you can get you can get into the numbers of it or you can talk about the inevitable because after all we we have talked an awful lot about the sort of inevitability of an allied victory from from day from day one haven't we we really have talked but this people have still got to go out and fight this allied victory and yeah. summon up the the phlegm and the gumption and the all the things i know i I expect i haven't got in order to be able to do yeah. this yeah and that's the that's the that's the thing you've really got you've got to remember that 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 and that applies you know and that applies on both sides because after all there is that question why on earth is anyone still fighting and why on earth are any germans still fighting on may the 2nd because that's hitler hitler's dead you know they're free of their oath now as well so that the, yep. the, the, the the that's over and an awful lot of people were, were were taking that as a reason to not have to fight anymore. We're, were satisfied with that as a reason to down arms. I mean, it's this is the the thing you you know you you. Sometimes I I when I'm reading, you need to pull yourself up and short and remind yourself that 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 this is what's going on. Absolutely, people going through this horror and the yeah. grief and the hardship. Oh, it's, I mean, the it's, thing this I... is
1: absolutely brutal. I I. I it's just really brought it home to me. And also the other thing I think is that I've always, you know, I've always, I've always sort of been in the moment, you know, you're writing about what's happening in, you know, Alamein or Italy or casino, or whatever. And it's always, it's always what's happening there at that moment. But, but what, what I've realized from doing the show with Rangers book is actually is, is that kind of sort of the ripples ripple effect of what's going on and how it affects, how it just completely wrecks people's lives. I mean, yeah. it, it, it kills someone, but the effect that of that death on a, on the wider squadron, on their family, on their friends—you know—it just—it sort of permeates outwards, and I think that's the thing that I've—I've I've really taken. I mean, one of the chapters I've—I think I've called it luck, and, and you know, because it is—you know—you can have a sixth sense, you can—you can get—you you can, get, can improve your chances by combat experience, but you can also, combat experience can also be extremely detrimental because there comes a point where you've just had enough, and you start to make mistakes because you're not—you're just not mentally equipped to deal with it anymore. Uh, but also, so much of it is just. Sheer random it's luck. Just sheer random luck. You know, David Render, a person I got to know pretty well, he is. He comes through unscathed. And and it is the amount of times where he's just moved his head, or something's happened, or he's turned somewhere else, or, you know, just been half a minute later, or, or whatever it might be, or should by any account have been killed, but, but the enemy gun jams, or, or whatever. It, it's just extraordinary and yet others don't you know others others are killed in their first action you know it's just well that's the, the that that's the thing is isn't it
0: because um, again you know uh, uh, to 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 go on about it this is the thing reading it with the jocks is that um because he peter white goes through his whole time from landing at walker until the end of the war completely unscathed but nevertheless in uh, you know there's a thing where they walk through a field and afterwards the sappers find 200 shoe mines in that field and no one trod on one no one hurt themselves.
1: that's it, amazing isn't it, it.
0: How, how the hell does that happen right yeah. and there's lots of lots of things like that and then and then he very much talks about when the you get the replacements in how he um and the and the replacement officers so they have a they have an O group um a, a battalion o group I think and and he he takes it on himself to take aside the new guys in his company and say you know here's the things you need to know and uh here's some tips and all that and then he does the same with his um with his uh uh, with the soldiers in his platoon and you know and he he says you know if only someone had told me all this and i i hope it really benefits but then guys are immediately killed straight away in their Mm -hmm. first first action and is it is that luck or is that inexperience there's just sort of there's just kind of there's just no knowing. I mean, the other thing, I mean, the thing you say um, about the ripple effects, we talk about the what ifs of war an awful lot, you know, and it's a, these are persistent questions when people say, what could the, if the Germans had had more U-boats, what would have happened? Blah, blah, blah. You know, the what ifs in the Second World War, one of, the, one of the reasons that it's such an attractive, interesting subject, I think. But there's all the what-ifs. what ifs. What if, you know, what if my grandfather, for instance, hadn't been, hadn't been killed? You know, those mm. are the other billion. You know, the multiple million what ifs. Yes. Those other rip, those other ripples uh, and that, that, that spill off. You know, we had that. We had that uh, family story where someone uh, talked about how a bomb fell on their house and a dad had gone out. That's right. A, a dad uh, or a grandfather had gone out, and had he not gone out, his daughter wouldn't. His mum wouldn't have met. You know, blah 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 blah. Yep. blah. And so the, the what ifs. The what ifs in every reflection, not just the. The 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 shut the ones that seem to close, but it's the other doors opening, and yep. the and the sheer proliferation of them from this event is sort of um, you know, you, you could you could you could think about it forever. I mean, I can't wait to read it though, Jim, and I because I, I because we do the the big picture is always is is fascinating, but it's but it, the big picture's made up of all these, of all these, you know, this this how how many Sherwood Rangers equivalents are there throughout the second world war you know
1: yeah, how many outfits yeah well of course that... you know i mean i i really hope that this is um you know i've, I've obviously i've chosen the sherwood rangers but it might as well be in the fourth seventh dragoons or you know the 13th 18th czars or frankly any other armored unit i mean you know a lot of these experiences are, are similar you know it's the same you're reading with the jocks but but his battalion could be any battalion in the 52nd lowland it could be any battalion frankly in any infantry in, division, 21st army in, 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 in 21st, 21st army, army group. group you know i mean they're all going to be they're all going to have those moments where they have a bit of luck going across the minefield they're all going to have those moments where they don't have the luck you know they're always going to have those moments where the sniper suddenly gets charlie um you know i i suppose the thing that i've taken away more than anything else is is just this sort of overwhelming sense of awe for what those guys did and what they achieved, you know, still so young. I mean, a troop commander at 19 or 20 or 21, you know, a, a squadron commander at kind of 23 to 26, something like that. I mean, you know, very, very young people with gargantuan amounts of responsibility and just really, really stepping up. Uh, and and that's what's so so absolutely extraordinary about it. And, and all of them, every single one of the people that I focused on, there is a moment where, they're just having to do again for the kind of umpteenth time be point you know be the lead yeah. man the lead the lead tank and the lead troop going down a lane when you have no idea what is waiting for you around the corner you know you think what that would do to your nerves what that would do you know how on edge you are
0: and you've seen you've seen it go wrong for other people countless times
1: countless times you know you've all been past a burning tank you've all seen a tank explode you know what happens you've all seen people bailing out and then getting machine gunned or or, or skittled by mortars yeah so you you, you know that you know the drill and you know what what can happen to you you know how fragile a human body is and you know that can happen to you and all of them do it and, and all of them get those jobs where it's their turn to kind of really put their neck on the line and it, and it is like playing russian roulette it is absolutely putting that revolver to your head and, and squeezing the trigger and whether you get through or not is just it's just a matter of luck well and they and, 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 and you know and i just don't know how they did it I, do not know how they put up with it, with the hardships as well, and, and what it's like being in a in a Sherman tank. You know the fumes. Okay, you've got extractor fans and stuff, but there's quite a lot of fumes working around before the extractor air air extraction works. The kind of grit. You know, if you if you go down a country lane in a Sherman tank and you haven't got goggles on, within a matter of moments, you've got grit in your eyes. You know, you you know everyone had red rimmed eyes. You know, it's just the mental and physical exhaustion of operating a tank is just uh, a tank is just enormous and yet they did it you know and, and we all and i know it's all relative and it's no good sort of comparing today with the with the war because we're not a war and it, and it's a different time and everything but blimey you know you sort of you, you might be feeling a bit kind of blue one day because of lockdown or something but then, you know writing about all this stuff i tell you what you it's half a leveler yeah well yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Well,
0: and if you are an infantryman, you are living in a ditch for a year, basically.
1: as oh, creepers. I mean, I mean the, the,
0: the hardship alone, and then, and the, you know, uh, 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 and then people are trying to kill you. I mean, I can, you can see, you can also see why um, aircrew would um, cause a, a <laughs> would would piss people off because they they fly home and they go back to a nice bed. Cute. I mean, it's incredibly da- it's incredibly dangerous, and and you know, the the, the the risk of the risk to life and limb is is. Uh, also ghastly, but you do get to go home and yeah. <laughs> at the end of the at the end of the yeah. sortie. Don't you? Whereas these guys are these guys are bivouacking wherever, and you know, I mean, it's it it, it, uh, it Well, I can't wait to read it, Jim, and um uh uh. I'm sure I speak for everyone listening that they. Ah oh, well, cheers, Al. Up. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait yeah. for oh, you to read pleasure.
1: it. I really, I really can't. I'm 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 sort of um quietly uh, um. Sort of, no, I'm quite pleased with it.
0: Good, excellent. Right, well, here's a story for you, ladies and gents, with yes. thanks to listener Nick Nick Hurray, who spotted it, and to Guy Walters, who tweeted it, Aris Hague House in Lochabar has gone on the property market for <laughs> 2.25 million. Well, maybe if this book's the smash it deserves to be, Jim, um, uh, you'll be uh, <laughs> setting up home in Aris um, Well, I was uh,
1: thinking what, what we should do is, is, you know, do a kind of, um, you know, have a, a, a We Have Ways, um, you know, going together you know what What do you call those uh, things where you kind of get those um like a syndicate a syndicate yeah that's the one syndicate i'll talk to i'll talk to my Wait, bank so, manager have so like, uh, we have waste fest up at arisaic i mean you know <laughs> wntl it's a, like a timeshare well <laughs> yes, because exactly. arisaic that's what i'm trying to say it's
0: exactly what we're talking about arisaic house after all was seized by the military in 1940 and turned into a training center for commandos de- um deployed by soe yeah um this is uh, bear this and on, stuff isn't it this is this yeah is that's Captain right yeah, bear yeah bear it's the Exactly. Quite yeah. tough. Nick, su- yeah, Nick suggested that we make it the HQ for the independent company. Talking oh, of did? which, okay, we had a ball last Thursday night um, on the live stream when we were joined by John Buckley, author of Monty's Men. I have to say, he's so good, um, isn't he? He's so good. And the thing I find, uh, uh, I still sort of pinch myself about, is that that I get to I get to talk to someone like that. <laughs> I mean, you you do all the time. It's your job. You're a historian.
1: Yeah, now, no, a, no, but I, I, a, I but you know, I've I'm got... a. I also kind of get very excited about talking to people like John Buckley too. Yeah, but
0: I'm a I'm a bawdy comic who's uh, lucked out here. This is quite because I because because I, the thing is to be able to actually have a, a, a to talk to someone who 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 knows all about this and him and him take our, my questions seriously and my and at least listen to my opinions is the most extraordinary uh, thing. Uh, Thursday was absolutely brilliant, and um, you know when when you've got someone we could talk I mean we talked about the historiography for half an hour or 20 minutes didn't we Yeah. just the history of the history which is which is so fascinating and so interesting and a lot of people on the on twitter afterwards were saying i hadn't thought of it like that before i it, it never occurred to me that that's the that that's part of what goes on and sort of saying well you'd have thought historians would simply try and research and find out what you know find out the truth you think well it's much more complicated than that you yeah. know yeah yeah <laughs> the chance would be a fine thing um because after all you know that that i think that the thing that the thing to bear in mind is a lot of the points of view that that were prevalent when the history was first was being written in the eight, 70s and 80s people thought they were getting that right they weren't setting out to to create a false account were they? they thought they were they thought they'd got that right from what they'd heard and what they'd inherited and you know and uh, that i think is the thing to always remember isn't it
1: yeah I also anyway. th- I, th- I thought he was incredibly balanced and fair about it as well you know it's very easy to sort of sort of go oh that guy is rubbish what do he know you know but but you, you you can't you have to i mean you know anyone who's done anything you know a- any book i mean these books are not, not just sort of dashed off i mean you know there's no. a huge amount of research goes into them and as you say it's just it's just these things evolve and and change and perspectives change but I, I, you know, I would definitely agree with him that that you know every book, every kind of every approach about, but you know how we view the Second World War is, of course, it is um, to a certain extent kind of influenced by the age in which you're writing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, never just fascinating. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. But he's um, a very uh, he's it's... a
1: very good chap, and he's incredibly learned, oh, he's... incredibly well read, and it and it's fascinating. And you know, and I do think it's important to kind of you know one's own understanding of things is definitely enhanced when you have a chance to kind of sort of chew the cud and kind of play out ideas and things. You know, that's why I always used to, you know, that's why I used to really enjoy talking to Peter so much, Peter Kelly Adams, because, you know, Peter was a sort of like-minded, afflicted person. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we and, and indeed still do, you know, an awful lot of kind of, you know, you just need to talk through these things. You know, you think, oh, I've been thinking about this and, you know, it just occurred to me that such and such, what do you, what do you think, Peter? And Peter sort of goes, well, yeah, I would agree with that, but, you know, you might want to think also about this and you sort of go, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. And and that's exciting, you know, it is that kind of detective work it's of piecing this stuff it's together and, and trying to understand yeah. more about this incredibly nuanced, incredibly complex conflict that, that kind of you know ravaged the world all those years ago.
0: Um uh well, so this Thursday for the live cast, we've booked you another cracker, 8 oh, yes. pm UK time. We'll be joined live from Oosterbeek. That's <laughs> right, by uh Juri Brentians, who's curator. Is it Jory or is it Yuri? I think it's, it must be Yuri Brentians, who's curator <laughs> at the newly redesigned Hartenstein Hotel Museum, famously the HQ for British First Airborne during the Battle of Arnhem. Um, yes, we're going to talk about the Battle of Arnhem. I'm sorry. For those of you who haven't been to the Hartenstein, it's a magnificent place to visit. We were there the year before last. Of course, we were there in 2019 because that's when any, everything happened. Yeah. It was in 2019. And then all it, fun stopped. It, it, if, you, if, you want, if you're if if you you want just trying to remember when a thing happened, it happened in 2019. Okay? It certainly didn't happen in
1: 2020.
0: <laughs> it certainly didn't happen in 2020, exactly. Um, it is, of course, uh, Roy Urquhart's uh, HQ sat right uh, at the heart of the encircled uh, men, the perimeter in Oosterbeek. Jory formerly worked at the National Liberation Museum in Grosbeek. So there's half a chance the poor fellow will get battered with questions on Thursday, but it should be a cracker. I can't wait for that. Yeah, no, I'm fun. really
1: looking forward to that. It'd be brilliant.
0: Um, uh, more cracking tales in this Sunday's version of the podcast family stories if you haven't listened to this edition of the pod yet I'd strongly encourage you to do so it's made up of listener stories about their family members and if you don't find it both remarkable and moving I'll be surprised I I listen to it in the car on a Sunday Um, uh, because I tend not to listen to the podcast although um, well I'll come to it in a minute Um, uh, (laughs) and I love it I absolutely love it Um, one story at the weekend sent in by Mark Rainier told of his dad Peter's letter home from Bremen in the final weeks of the war it included lots of splendid detail, including his concerns that the army hadn't helped him sort out his tax return. Uh, but what, I mean, there's a lot of that going on at the end of the war, isn't there? As people people yeah, yeah, yeah. um getting, getting written to by, <laughs> by the tax office. One particular detail caught her eye. In the letter Peter wrote to his dad, who was a London wine importer, Peter said he'd grabbed some souvenirs, including a dozen bottles of Chateau cheval Blanc 1920. Mark told us that Chateau Cheval Blanc 1920 was and is one of the greatest wines ever made. So we dug a bit further. We found out that not only is Chateau Chateau Cheval Blanc 1920 a mythical wine for lovers of great wines and collectors of prestigious bottles, but also you can pick one up for €2,399.
1: Yeah, amazing.
0: Incredible. Not a bad souvenir if you uh, find a dozen of those in in the bombed out ruins of Bremen. Um, So if you have a family story, please send it in. Um uh, I've just got to tell what you, you have...
1: what, what, one of on. what, one of the guys I've I've been following a chap called Ernie Leppard, uh who's a South Londoner, plasterer from South London, uh ended up in a in a Firefly crew. And in the Battle of Bremen he was um he was one of the troop that took out the command bunker of General Becker. He was the commander of troops in um, of the German forces in, in Bremen. And after this guy had been surrendered And um, uh, and marched off. They they were all able to go into this bunker and, you know, loot it. And he got 10,000 cigarettes and 2,000 cigars. (laughs) And for the surviving 18 months of his time in the army, he never once drew his pay. Amazing. So he saved every single penny until he was demobbed and lived purely off the proceeds of the the cigarettes. On
0: fags fags and the cigars.
1: Which he just sold because he didn't smoke himself.
0: Ah, brilliant! Yeah,
1: excellent.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> anyway, if you have a family story just like that one, because um, uh, we we want we we don't we don't uh, we, we don't just want commandos with daggers in their teeth. No, we want um, we want my grandpa my grandpa found the Mona Lisa and smuggled it home in his trousers. If you've got that, that'd be brilliant. Yeah. Um, uh, so email it to wehavewayspodcast at gmail.com. Um, head if you could st- make the subject family stories. That makes them easier to sift. Or leave them on the members site under the Family Stories tab. Please remember it's uh, patreon.com wehaveways. And um, we're going to take a break very... Well, no, I'll tell you what, we'll take a break, and then we'll be back in a second. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk uh, with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. Uh, we've been... Well, we've been... Uh, chewing the cut about Jim's new book and and some of the stuff that's been going on on the Patreon and on the on the Twitter feed. I have to say the response to Joseph Quinn's uh, um, uh, edition on Thursday about Amazing, Irish, isn't it? Irish soldiers was absolutely brilliant. Like uh, uh, to see all these people come out the, and and it and it and it proves his point if nothing else. Suddenly all these people go, "Well, my Irish grandpa, mm. he di- he he went." Uh, the, S- and and it, it just shows that there's this that there is this sort of under undertow in the story, uh this Irish undertow. Um, I, I, and and I, I I did listen back to that one because I said earlier on I don't uh, don't listen back to the podcast much, but I listened back to that one because there'd been so much um feedback on it. I thought, yeah, actually, I need to sort of um have another go at this. And the um just the stuff you know the stuff about the depot at, at Hollyhead. Where you would leave your you would leave your uniform and pick up a sort of, and pick up a <laughs> yes. shabby suit so that amazing. you could go go over to Dun Dunleary and go home and not attract attention. So it's absolutely extraordinary, isn't
1: it? Amazing. He's such yeah. a nice fellow, Joseph. He's a really nice yeah. guy, um, and he's been thrilled by the response to it. He's been absolutely inundated. So, well, he said he'd put
0: on two hundred followers. Um, uh, I mean, not that not that's that's necessarily how you measure these things, but I just thought that I thought it's just so interesting and the complexity of it. Yeah. You know that 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 uh, serving in the British Army remained a, a a thing that people did after independence to the point where the Irish government thought, well, we'd better not interfere with that. We're going to have to let people carry on doing that because because it'd be it'd be a, a poor move politically if we stopped that. That that in itself yep. is absolutely is absolutely fascinating. And then that, that after the war, the Irish find them, the Irish government finds itself in this double bind, where it has to go, yeah, we were neutral, but not really very neutral at all. You know, we were helping, really. Yeah, 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 we were the, really pro-allied. Because
1: the,
0: because the Americans are so angry about it that that I, that had never occurred to no, me. me to Would be the case because because the picture in a, the picture in uh, uh, my understanding of you know post-war politics is that, that the Americans the, the American go, American governments have generally favoured. You know Irish interests over over British ones. Yet the idea that they were post war absolutely livid with De Valera's government for not coming in is extraordinary. And uh, and obviously that Dev's government couldn't do that because the tensions in Ireland were too were too powerful and would have caused too. Much. You know that he's that he's that, that that even though he's this sort of, you know that the the, super, the the ultimate nationalist is you know he's still he's still well, that's probably the that's probably an insensitive way of putting it but even though he's you know he's trying to run the new republic he's got yeah. to steer his way through all lots of different factions including people who want to go fight for the british it's, it's incredible um and uh if you haven't heard that one go back and listen to it, it was last thursdays so it's really 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 interesting and um and also really felt like a tip of the iceberg job i think um, yeah
1: so well it's one well, to on. come back you, to isn't it definitely where do you know you know him from the national archive right yeah, he got in touch, and uh, I was sort of struggling to. Fo- I can't remember quite what it was. Anyway, he got in touch, and um, uh, I, I met up with him when I was up there one day, um, and we just sort of kept in touch. and He's just a, he's just a really good fellow. He's really enthusiastic. Yeah. He's really passionate about what he does. He's currently working at the Imperial War Museum, actually. Yeah. Um, and he's just a good guy. He's just you know he, he you know he's just incredibly helpful, incredibly nice, and um, one of the world's nice people. Boy, new stuff. I mean, yeah. That, that's the thing. And the full
0: picture with all the characters in it and the, and the politics and everything. It's really, really interesting. Anyway, yeah. should we do some questions? Give it a go. <laughs> out, of char- out of character as it is for us to do questions. Yeah. Um, Kevin Wilson, I um, almost got in touch, said, this week I found out from my only living uncle, who's now 1994, that another uncle, Squires Clifford Costel joined 13th Paralate in the war. He was sent out to Malaya. His records show that he was out there at the time of the 13th Para Mutiny in Camp Muar. Approximately 260 privates were courts-martialed. Most of them were found guilty and sentenced to five years' hard labour. I then see from my uncle's records that he was sent out to Palestine with six power. Uh, that will be with six airborne. Interestingly, yes. it would seem that he was only deemed acceptable for him to receive his campaign medals in 1961. I'm trying to find out if he was one of the 260. And was it normal to wait so long for confirmation of campaign medals, or was it a result of the mutiny? Love the podcast to so keep up the great work. Best, Kevin. Wow. Well, thirteenth power. They're they're the they're Lancashire thirteenth um, Lancashire parachute battalion, and they were one That's of those. Right. Um, they were one of those battalions that got um, that were regular infantry, and then got basically told you're converting now. Yeah, and then they'd be put through parachute. And the so Oxford Bucks, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all, well, they because they they couldn't muster enough men by, by a volunteer. so they put the battalion through parachute selection, shake off the people that weren't suitable. So you'd end up usually with like a core of 200 250 people from the original battalion and then and then rebuild from there yeah and they they fought they fought on they're on d-day on, aren't they yeah, D-Day, they're not they Yeah, d day they so they're normandy um and then ardennes and then varsity so they so do all the the were they in?
1: were they five, f- fifth power brigade that's fifth parachute
0: brigade yeah yeah is yeah, that yeah, pine you've, coffin you've, i think it is pine coffin yeah I think it is. I think it is Pine coffin. Yeah. Absolutely. It's Just the greatest name
1: ever. For oh, Squas Clifford, Costal's not bad. Let's
0: face I know, it. but Pine coffin is a name for a soldier. Come on. It's I feel on. Yeah, no, know, I
1: know it's, it's terrible, You really
0: want it? to be one of Pine coffin's men, don't you? Yeah. Um uh, uh, uh anyway, they so then what happens is the 13 para and I th- I can't remember which the other battalion is get sent to Malaya. As the advance guard, or sent to the far east, to the advance guard
1: the war for against whatever's
0: going, yeah, for whatever's going to happen next, right? Um, uh, you know, which is the thing we've took we've talked about yep. a lot is how they're they're squaring everyone off and getting them ready to go, and then of course the war ends, and they don't they don't get sent home, and they're used they're patrolling in Malaya and stuff because after all the 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 the, 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 the Allies versus Japan might well end in 1945, but then what happens is you get all the all the sort of uncoiling of imperial yes. stuff that starts to happen. That you've got you've got um, and you know and the and the navy are involved in all sorts of all sorts of stuff, shelling things and um, all over that part of the world. There's this un, unraveling begins of all the old empires because the Dutch Dutch East Indies, after all, the Dutch have been absent uh, from from that part of the world for a long time. And the British and the Americans have had to come and fill the void, and all this sort of so, so thirteen power basically they mutiny because they as far as I could, as far as I could discern because they want to go home. They they they. I first thought it was all, a
1: specific order that they were they were asked to do something.
0: Yes, but I think they are asked to do something, but it's but it's because they want to go home. Right. It, okay. it's, they don't want to be they don't want to be out there, and the rest of six airborne has gone to has gone to Palestine, at this point. Right. Um, and I, it maybe I don't know what, I can't, yes, I, did, I read that. This is to do with a specific order. I don't know what that is, but they want to go home, don't they? They're, they're, it's that thing of, um, you don't want to be in a Far East. Yeah,
1: it. but there's always something that you might be kind of sort of, you don't want to be there. You're, you're, you're hacked off. It's time to go home. But there's there is something, a, there's something, a specific yeah. order that says, right, that's it. I'm digging in. I'm not doing it. Sean. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but uh, someone will know. And two hundred and fifty eight uh, of them get court martialed, don't they?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you who might know, it's Ernest Malley,
1: he might know. Yeah, he knows everything. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so they get so they get court martialed, don't they? And they, and and they loads of them get sentenced to to five years hard labour and penal penal servitude. Yes. Yeah. But it gets quashed within yeah. about a minute, doesn't it? Literally the following day. Yeah,
0: and then the brigade um, uh, the brigade is set Fifth Parachute Brigade is sent back to the Far East. Uh, it's sent back to Palestine. Palestine. To re- rejoin the Sixth Airborne Division. But the battalion is disbanded
1: on leaving Malaya. So they. Winded... Okay. So is is that because they were just in Malaya and separated from the rest of Sixth Airborne, or was that because of the mutiny? No, that'll be the that'll be the mutiny, won't it? That'll be the the, the mutiny. Right. Like, okay. all right, we'll
0: dissolve. We'll, we'll sack that battalion off. We'll dissolve that battalion. Um. And and so. So what will have, what will have happened is is um uh is Kevin's um uncle uh, 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 will have will have then been you know reincorporated in a different, into a different in one. A different, well, into a different to me that suggests that he in, probably
1: in he probably wasn't in the mutiny then yeah yeah yeah
0: it's fascinating though isn't it
1: yeah i I suspect he wasn't and why he didn't get his campaign medals in I, I I I suspect that's nothing at all. I, I suspect I mean when you talk about his campaign medals are you talking about his entire campaign medals? I don't know. Does that include the Second World War? I don't know. Because I think if he I was mean, if he if he was then sent to Palestine and joined Sick Para then you know the 6th Airborne Division then yeah. you know he obviously wasn't in in doo I mean he wasn't in disgrace no. was he? No, it doesn't sound like
0: it. I mean, the, the the It's interesting because the Secretary of state for war in Hansard it says, and um, October 1946, Secretary of state for war says basically it's too many regular irregularities in the trial, so I'm gonna I'm gonna we we just the judge advocates decide there's too many irregularities of a substantial nature which will prejudice the accused individually, so they they basically overturn the trial and and quash it, which I think which I think's interesting because they. You know that this is this is a tricky period. Yes. But This this sort of couple of years after the war, where you've for got people still in, well, for everybody and people still in the army. You you know very much who consciously joined up to fight the Germans um in Europe, um and, and, and not the Japanese, and certainly not to do policing in Malaya and Singapore or wherever. You know the, you know you if you're yeah. a if you're a, a a private who joined up in 1943. If you're still if you're far in the Far East in 1946, doing police work basically, which is what this sounds like. Yeah, you just want I to don't get know. It I wonder right. what the yeah. <clears> I wonder what the order. I wonder what the order was.
1: Yeah, there must have been the 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 smoking gun. Is that the right phrase?
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. The, yeah. There must be. Yeah. And 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 who ran the mutiny? You know, was it Sergeant Major and all that sort of thing? Because to think... with the yeah, it is with
1: NCOs. You get the not all of them get the five years penal servitude. Yeah. There's only a handful who get that. Yeah. Most yeah. of them just get sacked off, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing the lepside boat. I mean, I just think that, yes. that immediate period after the war is so interesting. You know, sort of lots of soldiers running around. I mean I mean, you know, the Sherwood rangers when they get disbanded they get disbanded in when it is February nineteen forty six. Most of the men then they then get redistributed to other regiments. Yeah. You know, the service isn't you, open yet.
0: Hansard. So this is the this is the account of the mutiny in Hansard from the um uh, the Secretary f- for War. The battalion arrived at Moa camp from Java on the late... Da, 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 50, uh, the, the camp's terrible, lacks proper facilities for washing, feeding, cooking and recreation, no electric light in the tents. Several reasons for the bad condition, that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Living conditions in the camp deteriorate considerably. Discontent in the canteen and the word strike was mentioned on the evening of 13th of May. Later the lights were put out and someone asked those present if they were prepared to stick to what had been arranged. Around... About 7am on the 14th of May, 260 men congregated on the seawall in a sudden mood, and when ordered to disperse by the orderly officer, made no move. They later moved to the canteen, and here they were addressed by the commanding officer, who told them they should air their grievances in the proper way, way that he could not entertain collect- collective grievances, and that if they refused to return to duty, they would be guilty of mutiny. He gave them a direct order to return to their companies. As the men did not respond to this order, the commanding officer reported the matter to his superior commander. During the afternoon, the divisional commander arrived and addressed the men who had again assembled on the seawall. The commanding officer then put out company markers and ordered the men to fall in. They did not do so, and the divisional commander ordered another battalion to take them into custody. None of the officers or NCOs took part in the mutiny, nor had they any previous knowledge that that it was going to occur. Right. Fascinating.
1: That's fascinating,
0: isn't it? So the order that they refused was to disperse. So the order was, right. they, they've decided the camp's awful. They're not, then they haven't come all, they have you know, I mean, I think it is this thing. They want to, they, they want to go home. They've had enough. They're in a shitty camp. Yeah. In Malaya. You know, have you joined up to fight the Germans to parachute into Normandy...
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a bit this of is trash, isn't it?
0: The wrong end of the shitty stick, isn't it? So they they're they're not they've 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 had enough, and no officers and no NCOs, which is very
1: which is interesting. Um. Well, there you go. Yeah. Blimey, fascinating. Yeah. Very good. Well, I hope Here you have sort of sort of attempted to answer Kevin's question. I mean, that's what's that's what's in
0: Hansard. So that may be that's the that's the digestible version the minister can present
1: to Parliament. So who knows what else went on? But there you go. And I, and the campaign medals? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know about that. I think that's a bit weird. I, it doesn't sound to me like he was one of the two hundred and fifty-eight. To be honest,
0: no, no. But they did. I mean, breaking up battalions and bre- breaking up formations after, after mutinies is a sort of sta- standard thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but you also know, it you was you happening
1: to... all the time at that part of, of yeah. war anyway yeah. because of yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. it was being massively reduced.
0: Yeah. Okay, um, from Meister1 on Twitter. Oh, this is nice. Um, I absolutely loved the episode on the Irish fighters. Gosh, it's like I queued this up. It was great to hear it articulated (laughs) so clearly. I didn't. I just like you all know that I didn't. Dr Quinn referenced County Wexford and the RAF entertaining people on the beach. I'm from Wexford, and just down the road from me is a field right beside the sea that everyone calls the airplane field. That's because a Heinkel crashed in June 1940 after it was dispatched by the RAF from Pembrokeshire. On Dr Quinn's point about the country recovering from the Great Amnesia, a small monument was erected only eight years ago, which explains the story of the crash site. It's refreshing to see, and it's translated into more Irish people wearing the poppy now with a shamrock at its centre. Thank you for making this episode. Any discourse on our shared history can only allow us to see how much the two islands have in common. My mother's uncle is still with the forgotten 14th in Burma, and my dad's family have deep connections with the IRA during the War of Independence against Crown forces. Wow.
1: Wow. There well, you go.
0: Well, there you go. Well, thanks so much for listening to that and 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 for saying how much you enjoyed it. I mean, it is this it is it is this sort of um you know, because I made that program a couple of years ago, why does everyone hate the English? And we did we, we the, the Irish episode was the hardest of them to make. <laughs> yes. um, uh, uh, to be honest, because you know, it the, 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 the thing's still warm. You can still warm your hands on, um, on an awful lot of it. Whereas, you know, in France, none of it really mattered. <laughs> um, uh, right, Gordon has a question. Hi, guys, or oh, oh, oh. chips in. I've belatedly listened to episode 219, in which you debate whether Gurkhas had to draw blood every time they drew their kukri knife. My dad drove landing craft in the Malayan campaign and landed Gurkhas. He told me that when they came back from a mission, if they hadn't drawn enemy blood, they would make a small cut on their arm. He's long passed away now, but I'll never forget how impressed he was by the Gurkhas he took into action. Well, what do you know? Well, maybe. I don't know. I just sort of think if you if you get your cookery out to peel an onion, the last thing you want to have to
1: do is cut yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that. I do know a few Gurkhas, though, so I could ask, ask them what what the latest is. Well, why is. don't you? I will. Yeah,
0: report, report back, Jim.
1: Okay, I will. <laughs> and Investigate. Now you've got a book- Yeah, Yeah, exactly. What are you doing all day? Come on.
0: (laughs) 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 Ah, fab. Right, well, you may not be able to travel overseas at the moment, but there are no rules about the podcast carrying us to four corners of the earth. We're back on Thursday morning. Um, uh, Who have we got on Thursday morning? I can't remember. I think it Um, might be Selma, uh, isn't it? Is it Selma? Okay, well, well, it is now. We're back on Thursday. um, Explain who Selma is, Jim.
1: Um, Selma is a um, she's a Dutch resistance fighter, but she was also Jewish. And um, her resistance work is just amazing. And it just gets more and more incredible when she eventually gets caught and taken to Ravensbrück. Um, And even when the war is over, her adventures don't end. It It was just a truly astonishing Um, conversation with her really really was and um, and she just you know we just kept talking and talking and talking so I think this is stretched out to more than one one podcast but boy it it is absolutely jaw-dropping trust me
0: brilliant Excellent. And then join us on Thursday from a sleepy village just west of Arnhem, where there are nice bed and <laughs> breakfasts, places to stay and deer parks to walk in. Oh, heavens. Oh, heavens. First airborne have just turned up. Um, we'll be <laughs> in o- Oosterbeek on Thursday night for the live cast. Um, for those Yori. of you, un- Yeah, talking to Yori. Uh For those of you unfamiliar with Thursday night, there's a drinking game in operation. People have to drink every time I mention Arnhem, so you're going to need hollow legs. We'll see you soon. Chussy chus. Cheerio.